0: Welcome to Terror Talk. Before we start the show today, I wanted to give you a heads up about our Patreon community. For as little as $5 a month, you can become a patron and join our Discord community, where we watch film together and chat daily. You also have early access to our episodes and a mini-cast that we do exclusively for Patreon members. Also, check out our new website at terrortalkpodcast.com. Follow along as we build it together. Most of all, thanks for listening and enjoy the show.
1: Hi, everybody. This is Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Hello. Today on the show, we are actually kicking off. As you know, we like to do series around here because there's so many things, and I have to couple them in my mind somehow and make sense of it all, and this is how I do it. So this particular series that we're kicking off today is Cult Movie Classics, Mm -hmm. and today we chose the 1978 film Magic. And Lord of Illusions, which is, I believe, 1995. Yeah, 94, 95. Okay, cool. Yeah, 95. You're right. Right on. We thought those coupled well together. And having watched those very recently, I feel like they did. Yeah. I mean, th- magic certainly still stands up considering it's so old. I was so surprised. Nineteen seventy eight, 1978, um, directed by Rich Attenborough, At- Richard Attenborough, who's awesome. Mm-hmm. Anthony Hopkins. I mean, we were just last week talking <laughs> all things Silence of the Lambs and Hannibal Lecter. So it was so funny that we chose this. I mean, I think you said, "Hey, let's do Lord of Illusions," and I was like, "Oh, magic would go perfect with yeah. that." And magic was one of my favorite films the, when I saw it on like Sunday TV. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't obviously see it in the theater, but I. I did see it like on Sunday television. Yeah, which is creepy as hell. Which I told you I watched that. Scary. Remember
0: that documentary I talked about on Shrink Chat yeah. where, the, where he was talking about when he was a kid and oh. he kept seeing the <laughs> the commercial for it and it would terrify him and he didn't know if he wanted to see it or to completely avoid it because.
1: Yeah, I didn't see it. When, unlike you, I didn't see it when I was a kid. <laughs> I didn't see this when I was a kid. No, but I mean oh. like everything oh, else yeah, you've yeah, ever yeah. seen.
0: <laughs> yeah. I saw everything before the age of four. (laughs) You did really. I did see a lot of them around that time.
1: Brothers. Yes. Um, But for me, I would have seen this when I was older, like maybe a teenager or maybe older. Okay. (laughs) It's
0: possible. I was older than that. This is the first time I've seen it. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right. What'd you think? I thought it was amazing. I mean, it's complex, right? Like we've, um, yes, we've talked about you and I, While we're not recording, we've talked about the different layers of this film. But um, the performances by Anthony Hopkins, Anne Margaret, Burgess Meredith. I mean, there's some really great actors in this. It still holds up because they're all fantastic. I think so, too. I think it's... um,
1: I mean, the screenplay is William Goldman, who is a pretty big deal.
0: You know, they've made made ventriloquist movies since then and before. Mm -hmm. The ones since then...
1: I think have been pretty poor personally. I haven't been drawn to any of them.
0: There was a movie made in 1964 called devil doll. Okay. Um, that I, I looked up the preview for, and at some point on your own, please do It's it, but for 1964, it's pretty scary. It, it's an evil ventriloquist plots to gain in heiress millions. And, um, what they were able to do, it's all black and white and the the voice of the doll is really in the, because it's 1964, the face of this thing is terrifying. <laughs> but I think that was probably, you know, I don't know if it influenced this one at all. But we have a a really, really, and most of us are pretty, ter- I'm terrified of ventriloquist dolls.
1: Yeah, I mean, what I, what I will also say is that this was... I think I've mentioned it way back in the day when we used to just talk about whatever movies come to mind. And when we first started the podcast and I know I've mentioned magic before, cause it's one of those ones. It's like, what are the scariest movies you saw when you were a kid kind of a thing. <laughs> and this one was one of those for me. And and I think it's because the Talkie Tina episode oh, of, of Twilight, Twilight Zone, Zone, which I was I going to say Terror Talk, <laughs> <laughs> which I know I mentioned on our Terror Talk episode about the Twilight Zone, because I think um, in that episode we just talked about you know four or five of our favorites, mm-hmm. and talkie Tina is definitely one of them for sure. <laughs> and I had seen that before I saw this, so there, there was a little bit of a ramp up. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so I did a little bit of uh, I didn't know this. You may already know this, but the whole um history of ventriloquism or ventriloquist dolls. So, I guess yikes. What they <laughs> used to be called, the people who mm-hmm. spoke for the doll, okay. were called engastromeths. Uh, oh, that's
1: so, not catchy.
0: Well, gastra it, coming saying, it's coming from stuff, right? So <laughs> they were believed to have demons in their stomach, which makes the gastra part make sense, <laughs> um, who belched words from their hosts' mouths. So the art roots, uh, the art's roots lie in necromancy, uh, supposed practice of communicating with the dead.
1: Good Lord, they're magicians. Well, this is so... <laughs> right, which is which is
0: why it was so appropriate to pair with Lord of Illusions, right? Yeah. So, so um, to think that we're already making a film The the doll itself is terrifying, Mm -hmm. but now knowing the origin is already demonic. For sure. So it's
1: just, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So let me just tell you guys what magic the 1978 film is about. So Corky, who is played by Anthony Hopkins is a failed magician, adopts a new venture, Ventriloquist act with an abrasive dummy named Fats, and suddenly finds himself lined up for a television show. When the unbalanced Corky fears he won't pass the required mental exam, he runs away with Fats to his hometown, where he meets an old love with uh, from high school, who is played, uh, who's Peggy, who's played by Anne Margaret. Corky persuades Peggy to leave her loveless marriage but Fats who seems to be taking on a mind of his own doesn't approve of the relationship. So that's it in a nutshell without you know major plot points. um, One of the things I'll say is that this is a mental health movie. Say more Shannon. <laughs> um, When you watch this movie which I hope you already have done, if you clicked on this episode, it's a very good movie, as we've already said, is that it's pretty clear to me, this is my take on it, that Corky, played by Anthony Hopkins, who's the gastro-whatever you said. gastromith, uh, or the magician, is uh, doing this. It's not the doll. <laughs> it's his mental health that deteriorates and some of the shots make it look like the doll is wielding a knife like Chucky or whatever but if you really watch it which i did certainly this time for this episode there there's always his hand the you know anthony hopkins' hands or whatever are almost always in the shot He's manipulating the right. doll, or like there's one point where he is hitting someone with the doll, and you can see his hands are right there. He's hitting them with the doll, and but the doll's talking. And so, even the scene, too, sorry to interrupt you
0: when Burgess Meredith comes in mm-hmm. and he's clearly talking about Corky, not about fats. When he's like, Look at you.
1: Yeah, you clearly. can't even,
0: you know, like he had seen now, if you're watching this, not from a mental health point, then you're assuming this doll has done this to people in the past. Mm-hmm. But what he's really talking about is this is what happened because he's failed magician. Yeah. He's, he's already falling apart. Mm-hmm. And then this ends up being, you know, the, the embodiment of all his mental illness. And mm-hmm. so, but that scene's really powerful because
1: you know, he's talking to Corky totally. Burgess Meredith, seeing him on the screen, I was like, "Oh my god!" Wow. Not as, not as the Penguin. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's so strange. Or Rocky. Yeah. Um, oh, I know. My yeah, God, Mickey and Rocky. Yeah. Um. So, what I would say is that Anthony Hopkins' performance is awesome, as he almost always is. I would say that the character of Corky for the first chunk of time is kind of flat and i imagine that's done on purpose it might be the writing but it's uh it's sort of done on purpose and then once he starts to deteriorate then it's very uh very entertaining mm-hmm. sort of watching him you know do his actor thing like the acting chops kick in where corky is really vulnerable and really kind of pathetic with this woman that he cares about. But then in other scenes, he seems like he's pretty even keeled. Right. And then other scenes with the puppet, he he loses it. He You see that rage in him. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that it was a more certainly than when I watched it when I was a kid, like it was a much more nuanced performance than of course I remembered because I wasn't really looking at that when I was terrified of a doll that I thought was killing.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I think it's just a, um, I know I'm sure you've had clients like this as well, where it's just, you know, there's so much pressure to be this perfect, you know, especially if people grow up, um, uh, you know, being praised for their performance in any way whether it's grades whether it's art whether it's right and so he this is this is his sole identity and so for me it's like such a play on like major depression mm. and how how it doesn't always present in just blunted affect and and you know lack of pleasure that it really can present itself in full-on psychosis and dysregulation and uh, spiraling all the way down to, you know, what we see in this film. And I really do think it's a depression piece. Mm -hmm.
1: And and the delusions that can be primary in depression that often, you know, if you're not taking a full history... Or you're not, or you don't have enough collateral information, or enough things haven't happened yet. You might think it's more delusional disorder right. or um, psychosis without the depression. Right. You know, just sort of primary. But yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I think, I think there's something to that because <clears throat> that that thirty or forty five minutes that I'm talking about, where he's pretty flat, is what what I think you're seeing. Um, at least the way it's portrayed and written is that whether they meant to do it or not, is that flat um affect affect yeah. of his and also they introduce, you know, at the very beginning you see it's it's the story's also a little bit disjointed the first half and then it sort of kicks in, then you kinda of go like, oh, we're going forward a year and wait, where are we now? I mean it is a little bit like, who, whoa, what? But <clears throat> besides the tracking issue, I think in the first chunk, the um You, you meet the mentor and then the, you know, his magic mentor and how important that man was to him. And that guy uh, goes away and, and you just see his grief and his sadness Mm -hmm. over that. And his, um, just really lack of connection. Mm -hmm. And we see that a lot in depression, um, his inability to connect and, and, and when Burgess
0: Meredith's character does try to connect with him, Mm -hmm. Ben, I think is his name he becomes so reactive and um almost like he doesn't want to hear what's happening to him right and so when we're working with people who are beginning to decompensate or dysregulate in any way and someone essentially holds a mirror up and says hey i'm worried about
1: you and then this is what we'll see Mm -hmm. it's a for us it's a pretty big intervention yeah Uh, people in their lives will just do it instinctually and then incur the wrath mm-hmm. often of, you know, when we're not prepared to look in the mirror in that way, mm-hmm. not ready. And there's certainly demonstrated in this movie several times where he's not ready. There's like one point where he's playing a game with the girl. He's playing some kind of, Oh, he's oh, trying the to do card a hard game. He's trying to do a magic trick with yeah. the um, girlfriend and Margaret or the <clears throat> affair or whatever you want to call it. And it's not working. And, he gets it wrong or whatever it's not working and then and he's they have him sweating like he's in menopause he's like sweating terribly from anxiety and fear and and then working so hard and then they sort of have him get the then it works and he kind of sits back in his seat and he says I, I'm not, I, I didn't screw it up. I'm not wrong or whatever he says. I'm not, I didn't do it. You know, I, I did it right. I did it right. He's like talking to himself, sort of saying like, I'm not wrong. I'm not bad. Whatever he says. And almost like yelling, like you did, you, I picked the wrong card because of you. Well, he, he blames yeah. it. Yeah. He blames it on he, her. He, he externalizes first mm-hmm. the rage at her. And then when it works and he gets that relief, he sits back in his chair and like talks to himself and says like, see, you're okay. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever he, uh, words he uses you're not wrong or whatever um,
0: my, my my first thought is oh, I wonder what your upbringing was like and what your parents were like because there was <laughs> this just negative self like he terrible was so it was all shame mm-hmm. it was all shame well
1: that's why fats the puppet the um is so acerbic and so mm-hmm. um you know, no filter, says what he needs to say, doesn't give mm-hmm. a shit. Like, that's why it's funny is because his character is really just him. Yeah. And then he has his uh, either shadow or alter ego. fantasy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, alter ego um, or, you know, his ego period in that, in Fats, just sort of being unashamed of who he is and just saying this is who I am and just being a total... <laughs>
0: And then being able to blame it on the doll. Yeah. 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 I mean, it really was night and day. Mm -hmm. The two of them. Totally. Even the way that the doll handled Peggy's husband and all of that versus what he was able to do when he Mm -hmm. showed up at the,
1: The house that day yeah for sure and i actually um was lucky enough to get a couple people together on our discord um ice and snake watched this movie with me and i don't know that either one of them had ever seen it before Maybe one had and one hadn't something like that, and I just like halfway through the movie, was like, "This movie's crazy." <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, and it was good. It kind of, you know, nobody fell asleep. We all, <laughs> we all kept to it. Like, um, I, I think it was enjoyed by all on some level, and certainly Anthony Hopkins' performance was great. But it was fun to share it with other people because it, this is a movie that, in my horror film story, which isn't very vast. <laughs> Mm -hmm. although doing this podcast i've learned that it's a little bit more vast than i thought um this was definitely a movie that imprinted on me a long time ago yeah so i was pretty terrifying happy to share it with everyone lord of illusions yeah we can talk about lord of illusions okay um
0: I always forget that this is a Clive Barker film. It,
1: oh, it was so
0: obvious to me. I mean, when I started watching it, yes. <laughs> but I mean, I always forget because it's been a while since I've seen it. Gotcha. So a private detective gets more than he bargains for when he encounters Philip Swan, a performer whose amazing illusions capped it. Uh, captive the world, uh, but they're not really what everyone thinks. So this movie was made, I think, at the height of David Copperfield and some of these other guys that um, that uh, illusionary performance art was really big, right? And then you add Clive Barker's spin with all of the um, supernatural components. And then here you have this sci-fi horror mystery thr- thriller. Mm-hmm. So magic is something that people i think for a long time um were drawn to for a number of different reasons i mean i think that um it's it's something that we're intrigued by that we know is fake but we get really pulled into like but how do they do that mm-hmm. right um couple couple different things i just want to say here so magic fulfills our desire to feel a sense of wonder Um, in some ways it's a part of our everyday life, depending on how we look at it. We, as you know, our human psyche, our psyche is sort of drawn to the unexplained, Mm -hmm. which is why we oftentimes watch things like all of the different murder shows and how could somebody do that? I think when there's that question of how, how did they do that? We get really pulled in by that. I think,
1: I think brains like puzzles, right? So it just kind of is on in that line to me.
0: And then it's the oldest and most respected of the performance arts. So there's also his a really deep sort of historical, you know, magic horror and the occult. So that, there's a article that I pulled some of this information called uh, one is called three reasons people love and are fascinated by magic. So it, it's what did you think of this film going watching it now? Because well, I
1: was going in blind. I had never seen this. movie. Oh, OK. Before. OK. Um, this. Yeah. Uh, hmm. So what I would say, and I think you agree, because we were talking about it before the show, is that um, there's uh, several aspects of the movie that don't hold up watching it now. But I can suspend that. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I realize that the um, the visual effects of the time period were what they were. (laughs) And I can also tell that they didn't have a ton of money to Mm -hmm. make them any better. Mm hmm. Cause they were a little, I mean, I was working in the industry then and, and actually, or actually just after that, I guess, 94, 95. Yeah. A few years after that, I was working on a television show that did a lot of visual effects. So I know that they could have been better. Um, however, they didn't have a ton of money. So there's that. One of the things I really enjoyed is I'm a huge Hellraiser fan. Mm Mm-hmm and it was very hellraiser. <laughs> it was. It just had hellraiser all over it. I mean, it's Clive Barker, so and he, with this movie, he wrote, direct, and produced this movie. So it was very much him and there were several pieces of this that I mean, it had flavors of like Evil Dead 2, it had flavors of Hellraiser. It you can certainly see the influences um And I enjoyed the performances and it was just sort of fun. I thought, so (laughs) I did watch this um, with a friend on Discord and I, it was, my version was two hours long. Mm. And his version, there's an uncut, was an hour and 40 or whatever. Yeah. And it was funny because he says to me, like, oh, well, that was a movie or whatever at the end. And I'm like, (laughs) uh (laughs) it's still going uh, my version has 20 more minutes yeah so i would say you can watch the shorter version it's fine (laughs) i don't know what what i was getting in that first hour and a half that he wasn't but i'm sure it's not necessary so uh, you can watch the shorter version yeah Um, i think i think i watched the shorter one but the last 20 or 30 minutes was really good Mm -hmm. it's like with the crescendo yeah, I mean,
0: it's a movie about magic, but it's really a movie about religious cults mm-hmm. experimenting with reincarnation. Mm-hmm.
1: So. And so just, and and if you like that sort of thing, but you like it in a modern way, then this is different from that. This is definitely supernatural yeah. and very Clive Barker. And it introduces that detective character that's, I think, been in a bunch of his stories, actually. A very young Scott Bakula. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with his shirt off and... Doing his thing. Yep. I was like, oh, it's so 90s. (laughs) Harry D'Amour is his name. Private Eye. Yeah, that's a character that's been in other Barker things. But I really liked the Hellraiser aspects of it. The, like, rising of the dead and um, coming back to get you. And they put that mask on him in the first...
0: The guy that plays the the lead, Nix, I think is his name. Yeah. Yeah, I I think he was pretty terrifying. I think his character still for me, like stands. And that guy day. was in a bunch of stuff. Of that, mm, yeah, during he's, that time. He, there are a lot of like
1: yes. regular nineties actors. That's Famke Jansen exactly. is in it. Mm-hmm. That is yeah. exactly what um, Kevin J. I was saying when we were watching yeah. it. I was like, Oh my God, there are so many good character actors in this, in this movie from the time, like of the time there's so many. So it's fun for that reason too. If you like Hellraiser, it's got a little bit of flavor of that. So I would mm-hmm. say you'd like it. If you just like these kinds of, Older movies. So one thing I will caution is that it's difficult to find. Um, It is hard to find. It's not streaming anywhere, um, like, of the biggies. But I think it's on, like, Redbox and, like, maybe one or two others. But it's not on any of the big – like, you can't rent it on Prime or anything, from what I could tell. But maybe that will change. So
0: this uh, article that I looked at, um, this is the Magic uh, Horror and the Occult article – There's a section that talks about mind versus the brain. So it says, The innate human desire to understand the unknown not only manifests itself through modern religions, but also through occult and paranormal-themed entertainment. Unknown to almost all, the Bible provides a meticulously detailed map of human nature and explains exactly why mankind has an intense interest in spiritual things. The beginnings of an answer come from the book of Job, but there is a spirit in man and the inspiration of the almighty gives them understanding. So this article goes into just the the reason why we tend to be drawn to these sorts of themes. And Lord, I think the decade that decade, like I mentioned earlier, there were a lot of um, like illusionary, you know, performance artists like David Copperfield. And I think that Clive Barker just went, all right, well, let's take that and twist that. And, yeah, you wrote the short story and
1: then, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. We don't see as many of these films anymore. Magic occult stuff. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Not 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 like this anyway. I mean, can you think of any modern well,
1: ones? it looks different. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Better effects. <laughs> it looks different. I, I can actually think of, I mean, I'm not thinking of names right now, but I'm flashing on scenes from several sort of occult type, magic like movies on Shutter that are modern that we may have watched recently. In fact, I'm thinking of one, but I can't think of the name, but like, it just looks different. It's more like stone circles and, um, things that come off like ghosts. Yeah things that move and this kind of thing. And then, and then you find out it, they're sacrificing people in the barn, you know? Yeah. those. I think the, the cult movies we see, but
0: mixed it like magic. No. Like we don't really see movies. Nobody about, cares about magic. That's
1: so nineties, right? <laughs> so 90s. Yeah.
0: That's what I mean. It's like, we certainly see because we watched, um, was it house of the devil? Yeah. 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 They still make them, uh, but that's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. That's, Oh,
1: that's the one you're, yeah. But the, the magic theme was very nineties. I got what you're saying now. And that brings me to thinking when I was watching this, one of the first things I said was this is an LA movie. Yeah. Because I was, the person I was watching it with, I is not from LA. <laughs> and so I was like, Oh, Hollywood Cemetery. <gasps> the Magic Castle. <gasps> oh, that's that oh, yeah, area. The magic you know, like I kept it. saying like, oh, and there and this and that. And then I stopped doing that because that's, you know, you don't want to be a jerk. But like in my head, there was like six or seven other things where I was like, oh, I know where that corner is or oh, I know that. If you've lived in Hollywood or L.A. proper, like so many things
0: (laughs) magic magic horror is equivalent to like the 70s and religious horror like the omen and all of that i feel like the 90s it was around all this illusion stuff like there were a lot of films like that um there was another one i wish i could think of it right now i think it may have been early 2000s that was about all of the illusion um illusionary art uh performance artists that go to Vegas <laughs> with the car I, I'll have to think of the name of it. Okay. But for a while there were a lot of movies made about this sort of performance art and you just don't really it's a yeah. trend in it in it it's not really trendy anymore because just like with the religious stuff of the seventies, it's kind of laughed at now. It's not like yep. people aren't going to see David Copperfield anymore.
1: No, I mean there are still illusionists in Vegas. Mm-hmm. So for you filmmakers out there, I feel like this might be a trope or a, um, an atmosphere, an environment that you could certainly have a resurgence of, it would just have to be more, it would have to take place in Vegas. (laughs) It would have to be, you know, in the, in the guise of, um, you know, one of the people that performs regularly there or something like my mind just goes like, you could, you could really resurrect this. It would just have to be, it would of course be very different because we don't have magic on TV anymore. Yeah. uh, We don't.
0: And I was so just, yeah, looking at some of the other movies that had come out. I can't think of, I can't find the one I'm looking for, but the movie The Illusionist that came out in 2006 with Ed Norton, okay. who plays... Um,
1: I vaguely remember that.
0: He plays, what's his face? Um, Eisenheim, but th- I think it, this is, this one was really good, I thought. Okay. But it also it's it's a it's a historical film. You know, it takes place in Right. It, it's not supposed to be modern. It's it ni- has the, the 1900s Vienna. Yeah. It has the production values of 2006, but Yeah, and then they've made a lot of movies on um what's the guy that that strapped himself with the straitjacket and uh, Houdini. Oh, they've yeah. done a bunch on Houdini. Mm-hmm. You just don't see them as much anymore.
1: Yeah. No. No, I mean, no, you don't. I mean, you'll see like uh drama is about Houdini, but they're about like him as a person, like character studies or person studies, you know, just like you would see a movie on Jack the Ripper or whoever. Um they're not actually horror movies that are meant to kind of amplify magic as a as a trope in them. Here we are. Here we are. I think it's something that could be, I mean, this is a cult classic. These are cult classic movies that we're going to try to talk about in the series. So obviously, so my final words would be sort of that I believe, and I've always believed that magic is a psychological thriller that is underrated and not watched enough. A hundred percent. And I would say that it is currently on, um, HBO Max is where we watched it Prime I think I watched those. it pron- Yeah Prime it, it's another just, one that's a little bit hard to find you got to dig a little bit I, this one no it was on HBO Max sorry it, I know that it wasn't it wasn't hard to find for me because I have HBO Max and it came right up so go to justwatch.com oh, I do too I don't know why put it in there and HBO Max just came right up so right now it's on HBO Max and it was rentable Oh you right It was rentable on a bunch of other places but anyway I think it's criminally underrated, personally. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you have any last words on Lord of Illusions. No, I agree with that. Lord of Illusions was
0: the one that you were saying was hard to find. You're right. Uh, um, Magic. In the past, magic was harder to find, but it is on HBO Max now. No, Lord of Illusions, I think it was the last... I will just say this. It was the last of... The Clive Barker Hellraiser-esque films. And I think that was one of the reasons I liked it because it's cheesy as hell. It's an okay story. But it still had it was like the last little bit of mm-hmm. his, you know, stuff.
1: Yeah. It's like you remember it as that. Like, yeah. oh the last ditch effort. And he got to write, direct, and produce, so you know he had some, you know, shizzle by that point. He right. got to do it all and um That was a lot of fun. I had not, you know, you had suggested Lord of Illusions for this episode and I had never seen it Mm. and I'm a Hellraiser fan. So that's, it was a great addition to my having watched and it was really amazing to go back and see magic. So Uh, thank you for that one. You're welcome. (laughs) We had a good time. I hope you did too. Thank you so much for listening. This is Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Terror Talk. Please check out our Patreon page, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We'd love to engage with you as part of our community. Please take a moment to leave us a comment on any of our social media. Thank you so much for listening, and once again, sleep safe.